Stages podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's springtime, finally. It's a time for renewal and letting go. And one of my favorite things to do is to open my closet and get tossing. I let go of so many things that don't serve me and don't reflect who I am anymore. I make space. And guess what? You can do this with your inner closet as well, as we say in yoga. Relationships, patterns, habits that you have outgrown that don't serve you, well, you get to toss those too. You get to make space inside of your spirit and you get to decide what you're going to fill it with. It is very powerful, but it's not always easy because growth is sometimes challenging, but it is always good. And BetterHelp can help. A good therapist can give you tools to explore yourself. They offer customized online therapy, either on video or phone chat sessions. It's more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can speak with someone in under 48 hours. Right now, Stages podcast members get 10% off their first month with BetterHelp. So giddy up, get clearing. We have had so many of our listeners take advantage of BetterHelp, and we really thank you because when you support our sponsors, you support Stages podcast. So log on to BetterHelp. That's H-E-L-P.com slash stages. Get tossing, start growing, and happy spring. Hi, I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. Welcome to Stages Podcast, where we're bringing creation and connection to center stage. First of all, Shoshana E. Bean, what's that E stand for? Elise. Elise. That's lovely. Is that a family name? Um, In Judaism, you're to name only after the deceased. You're not to name after the living, traditionally Mm -hmm. speaking. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, and usually it's with an initial is how you honor whoever you're naming after. So my mom chose Elise for the E, uh, being named after my great grandfather, Earl on my dad's side. I know it's very dramatic. Okay, our chat today is with one of the founding members of the Alphaba Sorority. She's part of the original coven. Her voice reaches notes. It finds its way to the most thrilling alternate melodies and riffs in ways that I can only dream of. She has spent the last several years in Los Angeles recording an impressive six albums in 10 years, three of which were on her own label, Showtime Records. And those three individual recordings are topping chart after chart after chart. And when she does return to New York, it's usually for Broadway or when something really exciting is calling her. Those being... Wicked, Songs for a New World at City Center, playing Jenna in Waitress, her Night Divine concerts at the Apollo, uh, featuring fellow mega talent Cynthia Erivo, and her musical Dear John Mayer, which she wrote and she starred in. She's currently in the upcoming and anticipated musical comedy, Mr. Saturday Night, starring alongside Billy Crystal. If you haven't already guessed, everyone, please welcome to the podcast, my friend, Shoshana Bean. Shoshana, to stage, please. Shoshana Bean, to stage. Hi. Hello, Shoshana. Oh, that intro makes me a little weepy. Thank you. Because it's the truth. Congratulations, first of all, Mr. Saturday Night. Thanks. Secondly, I heard tell that they intentionally wanted to cast this 
um, ethnically, culturally, religiously authentic with the cast being Jewish. Is that something that you knew of going in advance? No, no, I, I still haven't heard that. That's the first time I've heard that there was intention. I believe there is intention. I was going to ask my secondary question was, can you feel that in the room and the storytelling and adopting the characters? There's a, many ways I can answer this. So let me try to just briefly touch on each thing. Didn't know it, th- that any of it was intentional. Um, I feel like there was a series of events that made me very excited at the possibility of being in this show. One of which was this brilliant Sarah Silverman podcast that basically was saying, hey, if we're being inclusive, are we going to be inclusive of Jews? Or or if we're talking about a representation, are we going to allow us to represent our own people? And a little bit like held the mirror up to my face, like what's your level of shame with your own ethnicity and, and cultural identity? How do you feel about being a Jew? Because when she's saying like, hey, why are we so ashamed of ourselves that we don't even cast ourselves to play ourselves? And I was like, yeah, why are they like that? And then I was like, wait a minute, you pick up and put down your Judaism when it serves you. You know what I mean? Like I kind of called myself to task with like my own levels of shame versus pride and how that has fluctuated. And so when this job came along um, and I read the script and even more, more so when I was on my way to Billy's house to like work with him, of course I was nervous and I pulled over on the side of the road and I, cause I had a couple of minutes to kill and I just was like, eh, this won't be a real meditation, but I'll just drop in as much as I can. Mm-hmm. And the first thing I heard was like, you're not alone. We're all there with you. You're not alone. You're not going in there alone. And I just thought like, not only are like my ancestors with me and they're geeking out right now <laughs> because of Billy Crystal. <laughs> yeah. But like, yeah. we're all one, like the, he's, he's my family. And immediately upon walking into his place, there were things around where I'm like, oh yeah, we're going to be fine. And then when we started to read together, it felt like family. So to that end, having a cast essentially full of Jews for the most part, it feels like working with family. If there's an immediate familiarity, there's an immediate comfort level. You should hear the conversations in the break room at lunch Mm. about food and family and family history and Jewish geography. Like it's all weird. Like the, my mother in the show, her name is Elaine. My stepmom's name is Elaine. Anyone who's named Susan that's Jewish nine times out of 10, their Hebrew name is going to be Shoshana. Um, So my character in the show's name is Susan. Um, So there's all kinds of weird little Bashir things. Signposts. So to that extent, it's lovely to be not only reigniting my pride and my ownership of my own Judaism, but also to be surrounded by them. It's not, it's not often. Obviously, the majority of the work I do, I'm the boss and uh, I hire who I hire. And I, 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 I'm not off. It's a lonely job is basically what I'm saying. So to be a part of a company again and for that company to be grown up Jews is it's super cool. And I do think that when it comes to this style of comedy and this style of writing, it does make a difference. And I I don't know that I would have thought that or noticed that prior to that podcast where she was like this brand of comedy and this, if you want to call it Jewish acting, you know, that's root, that's generally has been filtered through New York and a certain type of vernacular and speak. And it, it's, it comes from something. It comes from something. It's not an accident and it's not put on, like it comes from something. And when you think about culturally where it comes from, you know, it's just, it's, it's in the DNA sometimes. And, and not to say that we as actors can't act and yeah. try people on for size, but there is something really cool in this moment right now to be a Jew with a bunch of Jews. 
There's an undeniable understanding that you have walked through the world in a certain way that even though someone else could embody and take on and service the play just fine, that sort of authenticity might not be there. Do you practice your religion? Um, Yes, I would say more culturally than anything. I think Mm -hmm. my own beliefs around divinity and and what gets me aligned and what gets me feeling bigger energy than myself mm-hmm. uh, differs from what my religion would dictate. But some of those things are innate in me because that's how I was raised. This is what, this is a, a Jewish person's version of being a good person. This is how you move through the world. But also it's easier the closer I am to family. That's always been my excuse. Well, my family lives across the country. So, you know, but now I'm finding like it, the practice and the culture and the family that you create is, is what you make of it. And I think because I'm more open to it now, I just went to a big Shabbat dinner Friday night with a bunch of rad Jews that live here in New York that I, I just wouldn't ordinarily do that. So it's an exploration for me. And, and the show has sort of like been the, the key that unlocked that door, I guess. I think we do go through phases in life where we pull away from what we know to discover ourselves in some other place where you're not bound by the traditions that you were raised with, where you're not bound by the beliefs of your family. And then as you get older, you find your way back. Some of it you let fall away, but some of it you find your way back to. We just did an interview with uh, Daniel Pink and he was talking about regret. He said, one of the ways you see what's important to you is what lingers after 20 years. And it's like, it's like a a negative of a photograph. And if you develop it, then you see what the most important thing is to you or some of the most important things. And that stuck with me. And I think that's what happens is the little memories that you keep from the traditions and your childhood and your family uh, unit, those little whispers are the things that you should go back to and maybe pluck back out and put back in your life. So beautifully said, like truly, I was chewing on my tongue the whole time you were talking because I just wanted to shout out and you know how Zoom does that thing. So I didn't, (laughs) it was, that's so beautifully said. Yes, it is. Because when we're young, it's, it's obligatory. And then Mm -hmm. when you circle back around and you're choosing it because you want to have it a part of your life, everything changes. I guess with you, you know, in your bio or in your intro, I said, you know, how you've been living this bi-coastal existence and you choose when you want to come back to New York. How does that feel? Or what does that feel like now? It's a lot of feelings. There's a lot of feelings. At first, it was just great excitement because I think I was ready for some kind of a shift in my life. I was very ready for change. I didn't, I wouldn't have necessarily like said this was the change that I wanted. I love living in California. I love LA. Like I love my life there. And transition is hard, right? Moving was hard. However, I think it was like a week ago, I just had this overwhelming feeling of like gratitude because my life in New York is so full in a way that my life in LA was not intentionally. I was always on the road. So landing back in LA was always like my piece. So I don't want to create a really big life here. I want to create a life that I want, which is like yoga and horseback riding and seeing certain friends when I want to, like, it just was a very, I lived really far out so that I wouldn't have to be so easily accessible for lunches or whatever else. And then coming here, it's just such a full experience of life here. And I know that that's New York in general, but like I do have 20 plus years of history here. So the people that are here are my family. These are my people, people. Do you know what I mean? I feel an insane amount of gratitude. You know, when you're my age, you've made a lot of mistakes and you've 
let me speak for myself. When I'm 44, which I am, and I look back on my life and all the experiences, I've 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 swung and missed a lot of times, you know? Mm, that's and the best so- thing to do. I try to tell my son all the time, just fail, just fail. One of the mottos in our house is fail fast, fail frequently, and fail originally. <laughs> Just- I would like to be one of your children next time. <laughs> me too. Me too. <laughs> I don't know if he'll do it, but that's kind of what you you hope that they'll do because that's what your 20s and part of your 30s are for. Just fail. Who cares? I actually heard you say one of the reasons that you said yes to waitress was because it scared the bejesus out of you, right? Do you always do things because they scare you to... To push yourself. If I have resistance. Yeah. If I feel resistance, then I just poke around in there. And then if I find, oh, you're just afraid you're going to suck. You have to do it now. I feel like any big opportunity or decision, there's always going to be fear present. And largely it has to do with failure. How stupid will I look? How far will I fall? Of course. Uh, how much money am I going to lose? Am I going to be destitute? You know what I mean? So yeah, I just felt like waitress felt like a really interesting choice that they called me. I was like, are they sure that this is an offer and not a work session? <laughs> this is such a bizarre choice. Mostly because I, I hadn't seen the show, but I knew which what women had played it. And I just would never put the five of us in a group of, you know, and be like, these are the, like the alphabas, you, it makes sense. You put the group of us in a lineup and you're like, well, yeah, I get it. You put the girls who play Jenna in a lineup I definitely think one of these things is not like the others necessarily. And I think um, that's great because it makes it more like an every woman part. Every woman can identify with a with a piece of her. Yes. You know? and with so, a piece of her. That's exactly, right. exactly right. So I think uh, it makes perfect sense to play it with lots of different kinds of women. But I'm taking liberties because you would have been the outlier. Now that you've said it, and I've seen the the women that have started and until the final curtain, you were the outlier. And because you think of Shoshana Bean as this force, not just in her singing, but in her presence, in her belief system. And again, we are actors, so we are to be directed. We are to become what the part needs. But if you look at Shoshana being on the page, there is a strength to her that you try to fit Jenna with Shoshana, and there is going to have to be some molding and shape-shifting that goes on, right? And Jenna is one that is being abused by her husband, that then is lost, that then finds herself pregnant, and the vulnerability oozing out of every pore and you have to embody that. And you were able to do that. Did you find moments in your life that you could pull from? Yeah. I think the beginning was challenging because I thought I, I was drawn to it for the challenge of being like, okay, well, someone sees these other colors in me that I have spent all of the years out of playing a character, just being myself on stage, doing my own music, touring the world when it's just me and the audience. There's nothing to hide behind. And that is where I was able to feel the safest and cultivate a wild vulnerability that I was like, now can you bring that back to paint by numbers? Mm-hmm. Now can you bring that back to you have to say these words and you have to be on this number and you have to do weird shit sometimes, especially when you replace like I do or have. You don't get a lot of freedom or liberties to say, this doesn't feel right. 
like you do when you're originating. I think, can we rework this line? Cause I feel you don't get that. So you just have to take it and justify it and figure it out and make it work. So for me, I was like, well, now that the rules are in play, can you fillet yourself open and share your heart with these people? You know, the other fear with replacing is always like, am I doing it right? Am I doing it the way you guys want to see it? Cause you've already seen Steph do it and Adina do it and Eden do it. I can't help but be who I am, but someone is not going to be happy with that. Do you know what I mean? Mm. The other piece was the fear that like, oh shit, there is an expectation of what I do and what I deliver in this space that I can't do in this role. I don't want to do in this role. Are you going to love me or hate me? There's always that concern, especially the older I get. I think there was a real fearlessness when I was younger because I had so much to prove. Mm. And then again, you get known for doing this thing. And then if you're not doing it, you worry what people are thinking. And then I paralyzed myself for a long time. And now I'm just getting my footing. If it's my stuff, if it's my environment that I've created, my shows, I am absolutely fearless. Harvey came to see the show very early in the run. And I begged him to note me, to just tell me something. Once I started running, like we, I didn't really get to have conversations anymore. So Harvey was like, I'm not going to tell you anything except for you don't have to work so hard. Mm. Just, you don't have to tell us everything you're thinking and feeling. We're with you. Everyone else in this show is spinning in circles so that you don't have to. Mm. You are the only grounded human on that stage. Everyone else is a character. Everyone else is a character. So that you can just be. That was permission. That was it right there. The rest of it is like, there are other forms of abuse that are not physical. Mm -hmm. Um, that come externally and that are more than anything inside of our own minds and hearts. The things we tell ourselves, no one could ever speak worse to me than I have spoken to myself ever. Mm -hmm. Even Mm -hmm. the horrible things that have been said to me in my lifetime, no one's ever crueler to me than I am to myself. And I think that when we are internally our own worst enemy, we manifest that outside of ourselves because it's, it's what we know. It feels comfortable. Oh, you, you spit venom at me or you smack me across the face. That feels about right. Yeah. So that wasn't difficult to access. Sometimes when women end up in an abusive relationship, they're not weak. Often they're very strong and they're, they have the ability to adapt. They have the ability to justify all those things that you were saying you had, you felt like you had to do just to get into the role. You had to adapt, you had to justify, but that's what a person does in an abusive relationship. They change themselves. They dim their light to match what's being said to them. It doesn't have to be a physical thing, as you were just saying. So, so I think it makes perfect sense that you can have this underlying super strong aura about who you really are, but put yourself in the space that for years, someone's chipped away, chipped away, chipped away, and you've adapted and morphed and justified all those. And that's what you turn into this character. Thank you both for correcting me because that is a misconception. (laughs) And I know I'm serious. And I put that out there and you know, you're very, very right because I went the sort of making it a a general archetype and that's not, that's not the case at all. There isn't just the the victim and the hero from victim to hero. There are so many different chapters and variations and details. And so I really apologize to, to the listeners. I felt the same way though. I said, who am I going to be if I don't get to be ferocious and big? I don't know how to do it. Am I going to be enough? So really, I I felt the exact same way. Not when they chose me. I was like, 
Well, I, now I can show people really what I'm capable of because I only get opportunities to sort of do this one thing. But then once I actually had my teeth in it, I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> I don't think I'm enough unless I do riffs, unless I sing higher and higher and higher, unless I make you laugh, unless, unless I'm saving the day. I don't think you're going to love me for being like for showing you the broken parts of myself. And I couldn't have been more wrong. And so it was a lesson for me too, that like all parts of you are worthy of stage time. (laughs) All parts of you Mm. are worthy of knowing. Anyone who came in here hungry and found any bit of success learned very quickly. This is what we love about what you do. This is why we like you. So then you're like, I guess I better keep doing that thing you like, or you're not going to like me anymore. I'm working on chipping away at the external validation and the love and the acceptance. It's so hard. And even worse now with social media, of course, because now you're really aware of whether you're being loved and accepted or not. You're speaking about Harvey Firestein. Um, of course, your Broadway debut was the original company of Hairspray, where he was the lead and the mama hen. There's a familial understanding between that company and him. And obviously, it's still to this day, you admire him and respect him. And he's your counsel. It's been continuous for 20 years. Um, can't ever talk about Hairspray without crying. I'm oh sorry. Oh, my gosh. Ever. You say Hairspray and immediately the waterworks start. Um yeah, I think the the biggest thing, both he and Marissa, but of course, more so Harvey for just his age and wisdom. But like, I feel like I learned everything I needed to know about how to do this, how to not just what's happening on stage, but what more importantly, the quarterback that you are backstage when you are tasked with being the leader of the show. It's not who takes the last bow and it's not you know, whose name is above the title, that comes with the responsibility of calling the plays, making sure the morale, making sure your company is cared for. You know, I learned that from Harvey and yes, he's still family. And yes, he's still, you know, I'm now reading his memoir, of course. And now I'm like, you had a life before me. (laughs) (laughs) What do you mean you had a whole life before you had me? I don't understand. What is this torch song trilogies you speak of? (laughs) You're a prophet. I don't get, you're just my annoying mother. But yeah, that was that, that hairspray family that doesn't, I mean, put it this way. I've been in the biz 20 years and it's, it's, it's never happened like that again. When you originate and, and, and that was also a long time because I don't even know if anyone does it like this anymore, but we rehearsed for however long in New York, New York. Then we went and did a run in Seattle, came back to rehearsal to then open. So we yes. had this massive chunk of time from April to August before yeah. we were officially open. So now obviously with Billy's show, like we had four weeks of rehearsal, we go into tech, we're first preview all in six weeks. Like that's crazy. And was that based on Billy's schedule? Was that based on producers understanding? Was that because this is a brand new thing? Yes, it's based on a it's based on a movie. Yes. Is that true? But you're now exploring the material through song and choreography. So you are building it from the ground up. They did. They've worked on it for years. So it's not like this is the first time the script is seeing the light of day. Right. They worked on it for years in different readings and workshops and stuff. And then they just did a production in the fall in Barrington, where I think they really defined 
what the shape of it looks like. So a lot of times we'll be in rehearsal and they're like, yeah, just we're, this entrance will be just like Barrington or whatever. Like there, there's a kind of was a rough blueprint. So we were running after two and a half weeks. We started. Oh something. my gosh. Wow. Because they just, and the person, you know, who's on stage the entire time, he already knows the whole show, you know? Right. So how did that so show come to you? From above. I mean, I think it was always meant to be shared, as we say, it was always meant to be this way. I could tell you the details of it all, but. From think, Ernie, was that your uncle, your great, great uncle? No, great, great grandpa. Oh, 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 it came from Merle. I mean, who would have sent it if, it, if, if I had my choice of like which grandparents sent it or which I, I, I don't, all of them, all of them got together. I just think it was supposed to be, like I said, Billy felt like family. I just felt safe with him immediately, which is not mm. like me with people of certain stature, I get very nervous and starstruck. And I, of course, was, but was still able somehow to just connect with him and be really vulnerable. Your character in that play is um, Susan Young. Did you find similarities with her or was it a, a real challenge to find the pieces of her like it was with Jenna? You pull shades of pieces of you mm. and highlight them for a character. And I was struggling and struggling why can't I, what am I, uh, and I'm making it harder for myself. And the other day I realized because there aren't any pieces to find, it's you, it's you. <laughs> so you're out here searching to bring something outside in. And it's like, why are you trying to make, which is weird when you get gifted a role that you're like, I know her. Right. No, but her. it almost feels too easy. I'm not working hard enough. Mm -hmm. Therefore. So I'm looking around like, I don't know if I'm doing this right. Okay. So there's so still like, this can't be good enough. This can't be good enough. I'm fooling everybody. They're buying it. This is <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm going to be found out any second. They're going to realize <laughs> that's me. Week three of any rehearsal. Honest oh, to God. Right. Oh, week three. Thanks. I'm the worst actress ever. They're yes. absolutely going to find out that I've used all my tricks. Week three, I'm like, okay, so I should work at Barnes and Noble and, um, or become a barista because this is not my bag anymore. And if a Tony Award winner and multi, no. many time nominee can say that out loud, then I don't feel so bad. I think it's a real thing. And I think it's the ones those artists that care a lot and want to make sure that they are sucking the marrow out of every role and not leaving anything, you know, behind. I want to make sure I'm bringing all the colors and all the facets to the stage. Yeah. But sometimes if you truly are just working it out over and over and over and over again, then you're doing the... Um, I don't know. You're, you're, what is that, right? You're I using all the inspiration, but you're not getting to the actual, you're not producing something that is three dimensional. I think what happens is that people, people who have real innate talent, real innate creativity, it, there's a part of you that it just lives in. So you don't have to go in search of it. So because it's accessible, even though you have to mold it and there's work to be done and all of that, but that part of you is really accessible. So you think you're an imposter. Because you mm. think it has to come from outside of yourself yeah. to be yeah. worth something, but it's yes. not. It's that's why you are an actress. That's why you stand on that stage because that creative, innate part of you is rare, but it's not rare to you. So you think you're an imposter. Correct. Yeah. The not enoughness. Yeah. yeah. Something yeah. In, inherently not enough about me. You know what I mean? No matter yeah. what. But I think what I ultimately came to, and this was, I might be a little 
slower in my process because it was mid week four. Week three, I knew I was terrible. Week <laughs> Or I started like really trying to wrestle the dragons to the ground. Do you know what I mean? And I finally landed on our very last night. Cause we had like five days off. Cause Billy went home to get the critics choice award and it's his birthday today and blah, blah, blah. So we had this big chunk of days off. So Thursday night was our last run through before we move into the theater tomorrow. Wow. And I, we had like a break and I went to like a restaurant and I took out my journal and I was like, just what is it? And I realized like, you're trying again, trying to make my life in the theater different from my life on stage when I'm not playing a character, Right. that there's something else that has to happen. And it's supposed to feel, no, that feeling you get when you are locked and in the zone and completely channeling at a free open vessel, when you're on stage alone, doing your own shows is the same, it's the same source. It doesn't come from Mm -hmm. a different source. It's still Mm -hmm. you. Mm -hmm. So cut your chest open and share your heart like you did with Jenna, like you do when you're doing your concerts. Like this isn't different because she's angry at her father and is recently sober. This isn't different. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. I think what I realized was like the parts of her that are me are repellent and I don't want to own them. You know what I mean? Yes. (laughs) Yes. So I gave up essentially. And giving up, as you know, is where all the good shit happens. That's when all the good shit does happen. That's right. Because you release control. You let go of the control, trying to make it what you want it to be, instead of just allowing what it is to flow through you. I should send me your number. (laughs) (laughs) Shoshana Bean has always been fashion forward. She's always been impeccably dressed. Have clothes always been an extension of who you are? And do you feel like they highlight the true you or do they protect you from the outside world? Or is it just part of your artistic language? All of the above. I was an only child. So like there was no sort of guide. You know, I feel like if I had an older sibling, I'd be like, oh, you do. This is how we dress or this is how, you know, I would have something to look at. But I just had MTV and I, Punky Brewster, she was a fashion icon to me. Um, Michael Jackson was a fashion icon. So I, I would say that growing up, I dressed somewhere in between, which sometimes they dress very similarly. So, um, but the eighties was like wild with fashion, right? But my mom was always very, very fashion forward. We lived in a very small town and nobody dressed like her. So I think I get that from my mother for sure. 100% I think clothes are an armor for me, mostly because I've never been comfortable in my body. Look at what I'm wearing. Maybe you won't notice my body. And I also think they are an expression. I don't know that I have like a signature style per se. They are absolutely an outward expression of my inner. And I realize that more now because obviously for the past couple of years, I don't get dressed every day. But when you're in rehearsal every day, and you're not sweating. I don't have a sweaty role. We're not dancing. So like I wear clothes to rehearsal every day and putting on an outfit every day. I was like, Oh, right. I live in stretch pants and flannel (laughs) shirts. So how about I teach you yoga classes and you come over here and teach me how to dress. Cause I is a deal. I am hopeless. It's my favorite thing to do is dress. I love it. It's my favorite. So Paul Taswell is designing Mr. Saturday Night. Did you two collaborate? Well, nothing is made for me. It's all off the rack. I see. Okay. 1994. um, 
I think that the stuff that's being built and made is more for like the woman that plays my mother, Randy Graff. My my stuff is off the rack. So I had my first fitting only with um, Paul's associate co-designer, Sky. And he and I were 90s kids. So we've been having a ball like, oh, no, no. Remember when we would wear this under this and then with the bracelets like this? And oh, what about (laughs) me? Because we were being like, and then when I had my second fitting with Paul, I I really didn't speak up. I've never originated really. And again, I, I came into this process so late, all the decisions have been made, but it's fun. It's, it's, it's comfy and it, it's so nostalgic for me because the nineties are my favorite. So I'm in Doc Martens and plaid shirts and baggy jeans. Like it's, it's so. So which Spice Girl is your character after? Cause that you say nineties and all I think is like sporty spice and. nineties oh, grunge Nirvana. Grunge. Oh, nice. Ooh, which is so your Pacific Northwest <laughs> yes. like feel your vibe. Yeah. Let's bounce to, and I know this took place in 2011. Mm-hmm. Dear John Mayer. You create an entire show. Now I go back in my mind to John Mayer back in the day, and I can think of the battle studies, like the cover of that album. And no one has been more handsome than John Mayer on the cover of that. Now he's controversial now, right? There have been some stories that have circulated about his um, character, perhaps. Again, I can't speak to that. All I can speak to is what he looked like on the cover I'm with you. So what what was the seed his musicianship what he looked like tell me the genesis of that show. Um well my love for John Mayer actually started with that album. I did my research for everything that had sort of predated that but I just I don't know it was his it was, his writing changed my life. It changed the way I looked at songwriting. So he was a big force for me for a while. And he inspired a lot of songs that I wrote because I wasn't in a relationship at the time and I wasn't even dating at the time. And so he just kind of became my muse. And I was in the process of writing a lot of music and and I was newer in LA and people were like, why are you abandoning your theater roots for the music business? Like it's, it's, it's advantageous if you kind of like try to find a way to blend both because then you're still appeasing the people who want you to do theater but you're also showing people like listen I write and perform my own music so I called up my college best friend who is an incredible writer and I was like you want to write a show with me and so just took existing music that I had and created a glorified one-woman show like there were other characters in it but like it was a lot of monologuing and and I wrote a, a couple new songs for the show and stuff but it was really about unhappiness and the choices we make in life and not honoring our dreams, like not following our dreams. And then like the, the whole shtick with my character was that she had imaginary backup singers that lived in her head. These two fabulous women were essentially her alter ego that she wished she could actually live out loud and be that person. So, um, but it was Was it cathartic for you. Was it empowering? I don't know. I don't, I think that I think about a lot of stuff like sandcastles, like when I'm working on it, it's every detail, every grain of sand is important to me. And then you have to let them live as the piece that you made. And sometimes a wave wave comes comes and washes it away. And then you're like, okay, time to build the next one. And I think of John Mayer that way. I think it was a great use of time and energy. And I think it was a great moment. 
I think that the, the wave has come for that one. And, and so I think of it fondly and I am really proud of it. So if we were to make that compilation album, the essentials of Shoshana Bean, mm-hmm. I want everybody to buy all of her albums. <gasps> but if we were to truly do the one cent Columbia House, I'm buying the best of. What are a few of the songs that you were like, this is what makes me me as a musician and different like stages of your life? Okay. From the first album, I love 116th. And I love the cover of Aretha's Ain't No Way. Um, From the second album, Blood From A Stone. From the third album, This War. From Spectrum, probably All To Me. And then from the most recent EP, I like the Purple Rain cover. Okay. Self-declared, you feel a little nervous when you meet stars, but you're willing as a musician to say, I'm going to take Purple Rain, one of the (laughs) best songs ever written and say, you know what? I'm going to put my own take on that. What is that about you that gives you the confidence to say, I can do something different and my voice is going to lend a whole different understanding of this song. Tell me about that. I think that it doesn't come from a confidence. It comes from a necessity. Mm. It comes from, because obviously Purple Rain's been around as almost as long as we have, right? So it's not that I just found it and thought, ooh, I have an important stamp to put on this. It's, I, I need to tell this story. So it wasn't even like, how can we reimagine it? It wasn't, it was just like, I have to sing this. I started singing it in some of my shows it was so powerful, like the way it made me feel. And then when I found out in the midst of the pandemic that it was written about Armageddon, mm. that that's what the lyric means. Because if uh, what what's, I don't, I'm Jewish, obviously. So I don't know the last like revelations. Is that what the last? Yes. Chapter is? Yes. Yeah. Like shit goes crazy. That's what he wrote it about. If it's red in the sky and it's blue in the sea, oh. it's purple. Right. So, so I thought, well, that makes me want to sing it even more about right now, this moment when we were stuck at home, we didn't know what was happening. We didn't know if this was going to end the human race or like, we just didn't have any idea. Sometimes it's like, I don't want to sing the same stuff I've been singing. I want something else to move through me. And it always, 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 whether I want it to be that way or not, always comes from like, what story do I want to tell? Does this resonate for me? Do I feel like I am the person to tell this story right now? And that's really all I can say about Purple Rain. It never. And same with Ain't No Way. It's an insane song for any vocalist to sing. It wasn't like, let me pick the hardest song and see if I can, you know, sing higher than whoever. It was like, this story is the one I have to tell. Were you always writing songs as a kid? And Being an only, were you just sitting in your rooms writing songs? Or where did it all come from? uh, Necessity. I didn't ever, I still don't like writing music. I hate it. (laughs) Um, And I never wanted to be a songwriter, but uh, I needed to because no one else can write what I feel. And I found when I was co-writing, it was watering down A, what I wanted to say and B, how I wanted it to sound. And I knew I wanted to make records and I couldn't get in the room with who you would want to be in the room with to make hit records, obviously. Mm. So how do you push through when you, cause I know I, I try to write, I don't write music. I find it tor- torturous, like to sit here by myself and focus and put it on the page because I'm a real collaborator. Right. And then most yeah. theater people are, we all want to collaborate. Yeah. So how do you push through when you have to sit down and write this song, put yourself on that page? What do you do? 
Well, I haven't been is the, is the honest answer. I think that in previous years, I was inspired to write. I had things I wanted to write about. I had, you know, a very clear idea sonically of what I was doing. I had so much to say and either I don't have anything urgent to say right now, or I'm using it in other, like using the creative energy and the things I want to express in other ways. Yeah. Um, Like anything else too, there's an ebb and flow. Sometimes you're in the shore and you're giving everything and sometimes you're just out collecting, you know, and maybe that's where you're at right now. It's out collecting. My problem is collecting I, for a while. I'm always out <laughs> collecting and I never seem to get my butt in and in front of the computer to write something. It's too the terrible. only thing I'll offer for that, that has helped me at least know that I showed up today. Right. Is to just set the timer for like 10 or 20 minutes. Yeah. Everybody has 10 or 20 minutes. We probably spend that much time scrolling through Instagram. So I'm like, if I can sit down for 10, I don't care if nothing comes, I at least showed up to it today. So, and usually when I actually do sit down for that 20, I end up sitting down for an hour and a half. Do you know what I mean? But I think just knowing I'm not trapped and all I have to do is sit for 20, that would be for you or any other, any potential blocked writer that's listening. 10, start with 10. You know, that's with anything though, right? We're teaching Vivi to read. And she looks at the page, the 26 page book. And she thinks this is impossible. She looks at the big new word, you know, squeakable. And, (laughs) but I'm like one letter, babes, one syllable, actually use your finger and cover the rest of the word and just do. And you say it a little more fluid and then it's a word. So I think whether you're a six or seven-year-old learning to, to read, or you need just the 10 and 20 minutes to write, like we got to break it down. And sometimes the bigger picture artist, which is me a lot, which is interesting because as Virgos, they say, you just need to perfect the one little bit, right? If it's a mosaic, it's just that one tile and you keep growing. But I think I act against that. I think I'm constantly trying to see the end result. I don't get rid of the journey. I understand that that is truly the best part, the most beautiful part where all the lessons come and I'm going to pay attention. So I'm not just a destination person, but I do need to have an idea of what that final result looks like before I begin. And that cuts me off at the knees. That's what I do too. I need to know, well, what's, what's the goal of this piece that I'm writing instead of just taking it chunk by chunk and allowing right. the goal to organically rise out of that through the, the process same thing with a song. Do you need to know where the song's going when you start, or do you just begin and let the journey take you where it is and you, and it'll end where it ends. If I remember correctly, um, <laughs> I, I think of songwriting like sculpting if you can just show up and just start chipping, it reveals itself to you. The needing to know robs us of the preparation, the willingness and the openness to let things be movable and fluid and continue to reveal themselves is like the greatest skill to have to practice. And then knowing when it's time to put a period on it and let the, let the sand cast wash away, I guess. And now it's time for the five questions. Is there anything in your beautiful closet, one piece that you will never get rid of because of the memories it holds or what it stands for, for you? There are quite a few, but I think the, my first dress from my album release at the Apollo that was custom made 
it's white and we did it to, to sort of look like a, like a lily. It was mm. that, that I'll, I'll probably never get rid of that. If you could have <laughs> any question answered, what would it be? Is it all going to turn out all right? <laughs> uh, if you could speak to your teenage self, what would you tell her? You're enough and you're not too much. <laughs> That's the other thing I would tell her. You're enough and you're not too much. Okay. That's actually really great. Actually, mm-hmm. I love that. What was your childhood nickname? Who gave it to you and why? Bug. Um, my parents, I think my dad, maybe because in the Richard scary books, you know, there's the little bug who drives the bulldozer bug dozer is his name. (laughs) So my dad called me bug dozer, which then got shortened to bug. So my parents both still call me bug. If you were a nail polish color, what color would it be? And what's that cheeky little name? Um, oh shit. These are not five fast questions. These are five thoughtful questions. <laughs> oh God, it's going to have to be something like red and like, you know, like sweet tart. That's probably, it'd be something like that. I don't know. <laughs> oh, I kind of love that. Sweet tart. Thank you. Thank you, Bug. This is the best podcast I've ever done. Yay. So sweet. You guys are awesome. Coming up next, what struck a chord with us right after a word from our sponsor. Y'all. Stages is now sponsored by BetterHelp, and I couldn't be more excited because I love therapy. So I encourage you, if you've had a tough year and a half, (laughs) why don't you give them a shot? You can find a therapist that you can connect with. Their resource is thousands of therapists, well-trained and experienced. You can keep looking until you find someone that you click with. They have customized online therapy. They do offer videos, but they also offer phone and live chat sessions. So you don't even have to be seen. You can only be heard. What are you waiting for? Go to BetterHelp. That's H-E-L-P dot com slash stages. And for our cast members, you get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash stages stages go 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 find your healing go find your happy stages podcast is sponsored by better help that's h-e-l-p oh my gosh she was so great yeah to take the time in the middle of everything that she's doing right now to come and and talk to us that's so cool she's it's a real testament you know i also find this is hard for me as a virgo and i like to i still write things down in a calendar for me even though i have the iphone and whatever the google linked up calendar situation if i don't write it down it's hard for me to remember Mm -hmm. but when i have something like this where they're like what are you doing right now somehow all the stars do align and it usually works out if they're like, are you available tonight? We've been wanting to have her on for quite a long time. And needless to say, her schedule with rehearsal and tech and all that opening up a big new show. And then when they're like, what are you doing in the next couple hours? It just turns out to be so beautiful and fresh and exactly what it's supposed to be. It was very easy. You can tell. I loved when she was talking about how she writes her show and then she just lets it fall away. Mm -hmm. You know what a mandala is? Yeah. Yes. But for our listeners, please explain. Well, they they build something out of flower petals or sand, like a beautiful, intricate design. And it represents the transitory nature of life. And it's meant 
to wash away or blow away in the wind. It's a practice of non-attachment. I love that that's how she sees her music and her work. I build it and then I just let it wash away wherever it's supposed to be. I love that image. I think I have to have some sort of discussion with my therapist because when these beautiful stories are being told, for some reason, I'm always the inanimate object. Like when Jason... um, uh, Jason Alexander was talking about the rock climbers, right? Yeah, and the rope. Yeah, yeah. And I saw rope. myself as the rope. And when she was talking about the sandcastle, I saw myself as the wave. And it wasn't like in a in a negative sort of uh, connotation, but just coming in, cleaning or getting rid of, and then starting from scratch. And I need to Naturally figure out- cleaning. I've been in your kitchen. Well, we all have different definitions of tidying, Mary Lee. Oh, Lord. Um, but back to Shoshana, <laughs> who also looks remarkably put together. And I wanted to talk about that gorgeous duplex that was behind her. Yeah, what? Where is oh, that? Oh, how did we not discuss it? It was like all shades of eggshell and ecru and Ugh. white. It just looked like a safe haven in the middle of New York City. It really was like this <laughs> opened up when she came on. I thought, who are you? Where is this apartment? I'd also wanted to talk to her a little bit about you know, stepping into different roles, shows that have already sort of are up and running like a well-oiled machine. And you have to find your way into something that already exists, whether that was Wicked or Waitress. Um, and she always makes it her own. It's mm. it's undeniably hers. And that is not an easy thing to do. Yeah. It's, and her voice is so... Oh. I mean, I can't. And I wanted to ask her too, where the hell do those riffs come from? Do you think them out? Is that just like some spirit takes over you and you just start doing that thing that she does? It's unbelievable. I am so not good at it. And I don't know if it's a freedom, like if you went out on a dance floor and just started dancing it, like a dancer would just make up choreography and move their body to however it goes. It seems like that's what she does with her voice. It's almost like a choreographed thing, but so innate and natural? I think it's the latter. I think like she said, when I write songs or if I take on a cover song that's well known and she has to do it, right? So that's why these riffs don't feel like something that has been practiced at nauseum or um, seems false because it's, and I will say, if you went to see her on Tuesday night or if you went to see her on Saturday matinee, that riff in some song is going to be in a different place and in a different way. That is a language I do not speak. I can tell you right now, if it's not on the page, <laughs> Mama Block isn't singing it. If you write it, sure, sure. I'll, I'll learn it. I'll do it. Of course. But please don't ask me to make that up. I can't. Heavens, I can't no. That. Because that's not going to come out of me organically in the middle of a show. No, me neither. There's so many things I can say about Shoshana. She used the phrase, you know, I've I've swung and missed a lot. And that resonated with me because the beauty of saying yes and showing up and stepping on the bat, right? Stepping on the plate with your bat and even just wanting to, to attempt to hit the ball is just, uh, it's admirable. She was really, really wonderful. Last minute, totally made me happy. And it was the perfect way to just like wrap up the day. You know, she was wonderful. She was. All right, my friend. Love you. Love you. <laughs> Bye.
So if this episode resonated with you, please follow, subscribe, and share. You can always find us at stagespodcast.net. A big thank you goes out to our assistant and doer of all things technical, Saren Cho. Thank you to Noah Kaiserman and Garrett Healy for our beautiful original music, Melanie Von Trapp for our Stages Podcast logo, Brock Grenfeld, our sound engineer, and Allison Arns, our PR and social media expert. And thank you, our cast members, for joining us today. We hope you come back next week. <laughs>